The Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast is sponsored by Prairie Care. You know, going through the process of getting help with your mental health can be very overwhelming. I definitely know that from firsthand experience. Prairie Care can help guide you through it and get you in touch with the help that you need. They've been offering mental health services to all ages in the Twin Cities of Minnesota since 2005. Whether you're looking for clinical services, a specialty outpatient program, or a more intensive level of care like inpatient treatment, Prairie Care has you and your family covered. Visit prairie-care.com to learn more. That's prairie-care.com. Hello, my friends, and welcome into this episode of the Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast. My name is Brian Pyatt. I am your host, and I am so excited to be with you here today. If if you are someone who experiences perfectionism in your life in any way, shape, or form, I, I think that, that this conversation that we're having today on the podcast is going to be helpful, and, and I think it will resonate for you in many ways. Um, you know, one of the really cool things about, about being able to do this work around mental health at, at this phase in my life is that every now and then I get to have someone on the podcast who was really, really helpful for me when, when I was really going through some really tough times, um, when it comes to my mental health. And today we have, we have Kimberly Quinlan on, on the podcast. And, and this is someone who, I have followed on social media for a very long time. I've listened to her podcasts many, many times when I've been going through a really hard time and, and needed some some extra support and and have, have found her work to be so soothing, so helpful along the path. And um, I've even had the honor of, of speaking at the OCD Game Changers event in in Denver, Colorado, um, an event that she was also also part of. So um, I'm so thrilled to be able to bring you this conversation. And and for some of you who do not know about Kimberly, um, to, to introduce you to her work and just introduce you to her. She is um, such a, a beautiful, compassionate voice in the world of mental health and um and doing some some pretty pretty incredible things. So I want to run you through here a little bit some backstory on on Kimberly. So Kimberly is a licensed therapist. She lives in California. Um she's she specializes um particularly with people living with anxiety and and OCD. Uh she is the host of the Your Anxiety Toolkit podcast. She is the author of the Self-Compassion Workbook for OCD. Uh, she's also the founder of CBT School, which is a psychoeducation platform that provides online courses for people with OCD who do not have access to professional mental health care. So 
Um, we, we get into a lot of different things in, in this conversation. So we talk about perfectionism. Um, that definitely runs throughout the conversation. Uh, we talk about self-compassion, what that looks like. Like, what does it really mean to be compassionate towards ourself? Um, Kimberly has some beautiful insight into that. Uh, we get into her story, some things that she's gone through in her life. And, um, you know, I, I, if you're somebody who maybe has always felt like you could really only bring to the table positive emotions when you when you step out into the world or maybe you're the one that's that's always kind or always nice to other people um we definitely don't want to take that away right that's a it's a beautiful beautiful thing um about you and i think sometimes when we when we're kind of known as the nice or the kind one um we feel like we have to be that way all the time and, and it can be a real journey of learning how to also incorporate other emotions like anger, frustration, sadness, like all the other things that come along with being human. And um, we touch on some of that here in, in the conversation as well. So um, so glad you're here. So grateful to, to Kimberly for being a part of this. And so um, let's go ahead and, and begin, my friends, my conversation with the wonderful Kimberly Quinlan. Thank you so much for for taking the time to join the podcast, my friend. I'm so happy to be here. Really, I am. I feel like I get to chat with my old friend. You know, Kimberly spends so much of her time showing up for other people in, in deeply beautiful ways. But I thought I would start this conversation today with a little bit of what she has experienced, and in particular, when it comes to living with an eating disorder. I had a really great childhood, great parents. I was secure. I was actually a very confident kid. Like I was the kid who was like, I could do that. You know what I mean? Which has served me in many ways in my life. Um, But when I went off, just before I went off to college, I started to really struggle around um, wanting to control something. And my brain picked food. Um, there is a history of eating disorders in my family. And so, yeah, my brain fixed fixed itself on food and body. And so my way of dealing with general anxiety was to control one thing, and that was food and diet and body and exercise. I would spend hours um, calculating calories, counting calories. In fact, about a year ago, I found one of my calorie counting journals Um, and it was just filled with like 30 slices of cucumber is this many calories and two pieces of whole wheat pita bread is this many calories. And, and, um, and so, yeah, I got really, really stuck, really stuck in compulsive eating, exercising. Um, everything had to be very clean and calculated. Um, and so And I kind of thrived on that because people would always like give me compliments. Oh my God, you're so controlled. You're so well, you're so disciplined. And so I got stuck in that for a long time until um, my husband actually sat me down and was like, you need help. Um, Mm. 
your and so I was lucky enough in that that's really all I think I was actually relieved to hear that um like oh thank god somebody actually could see this as a problem and then interestingly um I think that I got really really great treatment but now even I was reflecting on this just the other day I think that I got really great treatment but I didn't quite understand how the underlying issue should be dealt with. And so once I recovered from an eating disorder, then I kind of moved into perfectionism. And then um, I kind of got stuck again. So I wasn't focusing on controlling food, but I was focusing on controlling how people perceive me and so forth. And then Mm. I haven't talked about this publicly much at all, but in the last three years, I have now, now that I can zoom out and see the pattern, I also got caught up in some workaholism as just another extension of that, of like, here is how I can control my environment and I can control my emotions and avoid my emotions. And so um, after reflecting on that and having a lot of therapy, I can kind of just see these different stages and how they're all the same, but they kind of played out in different ways. Mm. So finding ways to really, really control your experience. I think so. And my emotions, right? Um, And it's funny that the only reason I really figured that out wasn't actually in therapy. It was, I was talking with a friend and I have a best friend who is wonderful and we talk every day and, and we were talking because I have a medical illness um, as well is about how I've learned to let go like really quick now, like, if I'm sick, mm. I just let go. I just cancel my day. If I'm, if I can't meet other people's needs, I just, I'm like, I'm sorry, but it, I, I'm, I am sick. And that it's really helped me to see like, oh, I was trying to get control this whole time and I didn't have any control. So that's sort of how mm. it plays out. Yeah. I, something that came to my mind is I, I know now you're, you're, you reach so many people, whether it's on I mean, I mean, your social media following is just beautiful and, and you're making such a deep impact in, in those spaces. Um, has that, that sense of kind of maybe perfectionism, have you found that even coming out in that work, like this work that's really, really helping and, and making an impact on the world? Yeah. And yet I would imagine some of those things can kind of surface alongside even that. Well, I think that was actually the epiphany I had with my friend is I've had... Um, a pretty significant troll issue, like some um, lots of trolls. And I think what triggered me was I try to be as kind as I can to everybody. And I think I somewhere in a faulty belief believe that if I'm kind to everyone, no one would ever have bad feelings about me. <laughs> like I think I, I think I actually believed that if I could just be, Um, kind and compassionate and that's who I am that that will somehow control this a bit for people's ability to not like me but then because I have a social media following and with that comes people you're not for everybody right like that was a Mm -hmm. shocker for me (laughs) that gobsmacked me and I think that's where I really clicked with like oh no matter how thin I am no matter how perfect I am no matter how much I give away for free people aren't going to like you and there's nothing you can do. 
And even though that sounds really depressing, it was like the biggest weight off my shoulders. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Because there's, there can, I would imagine, and, and I, I really resonate with a lot of what you're saying, but I, I, I would imagine that can be kind of a, a double-edged sword, right? Because you, you, you're, you're getting a lot of feedback from people in your life, potentially around, you're so kind and you're so, you know, and, and that makes such a deep impact on people. And I, I mean, you are right. Like you're just like this, you're this wonderful human to interact with. And yet at the same time, you also get to have other emotions and feelings about other people than just being kind all the time. Like, right. cause you're a human. Right. Right. Yes. It's, and it, yeah. And I think that I, again, I had a really great childhood. Um, so actually good that I, I was even reflecting recently as well as I had such a good childhood. I don't think I went through enough trials to learn like, oh, people aren't going to like you all the time. And I'm not saying that everyone liked me all the time, but I actually thought that, um, well, maybe actually I did think that I could get people to like that and it just isn't true. So I think that I had to learn, like had to have quite a few fall downs to be like, oh, perfectionism. Yeah. Not a thing. Doesn't exist. Because you're, while one person might be like, you're amazing, the next person is like, you're not for me. Yeah. Yeah. And and what have you found that, that's helped you with this? Are there, are there certain tools that are kind of allowing you to, to maybe chip away at this whole perfectionism thing? Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing was in my eating disorder. The thing that blew me away was my, my eating disorder specialist was so badass. She would, she once was like, let's actually get really angry about this situation. Like people expect you to be thin. That must make you really angry. People expect you to be in this body. That must make you. So that was huge, right? That was really hard for me, but that was really huge and to have a different relationship with anger. The Mm. second big wave was, um, and I've talked about this a lot is early in my treatment for recovery. I, this was back when like you had um, an eye touch, I think it was called an iTouch where you would download podcasts onto it from your computer. Like <laughs> that, that, mm-hmm. that was the only way. And so I would have this little iPod thing and I would ca- download audiobooks and um, podcasts from Tara Brock and learn about mindfulness and compassion and how just because you think something doesn't make it true. Mm. Um, that was like a light bulb moment for me. And then the other piece even further deeper was giving yourself permission to feel any feeling and having self-compassion be number one. Yeah. Continues to change my life. Yeah. Even when I think I've got it down, I can go deeper and be like, holy smacks, this is so amazing that I'm, I'm my first support system. What does self-compassion mean to you? Uh, self-compassion means to me unconditional support from me, no matter the circumstance. It's not unicorns and flowers. It's not feeling lovey, lovey-dovey feelings a lot for me. It's like, um, like it might even be in my relationship with my husband. Like, let's say he's like, well, I don't like that. And my, my instincts would have been like, but you have to like it because I like it. And if we're not on the same team, 
we're mm. doomed for misery. And now I have to be like, he doesn't have to like what you like. And then so the self-compassion is to go, ooh, let's sit and let's be with that. Let's be, let's support you like radically around this pain you feel. It's instead of it being like, boo-hoo, no pain for me, it's it's more like, ooh, Kimberly, yeah, pain. Let's just be there for you. We don't have to, we don't have to nurture it, like give it all this yeah. time and space, but we just be, be like, yeah, you get to feel that. That's okay. Yeah. Good for you. And as somebody that maybe always feels like they have to just present this kind image to the world all the time that can be really transformative, I would imagine, so to, to be like, no, I actually get to be angry today, or mm -hmm. I get to have whatever emotion that I'm having. And it doesn't always have to just go through this kindness filter and present right. that to the world. Yeah. Or I get to have an opinion. Mm. That was big for me too. Oh, you don't like, I, I always was like, oh, I don't necessarily agree with that person, but I guess I probably am wrong. So I won't say anything. And now I get to have an opinion. I'm still mm. kind. I never want to harm anybody. I never, I'm not really interested in being political or, you know, but yeah, it's this, it's just, and the thing is it's no one would even know I'm being compassionate because it's just in me. It's in my head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about your, your book because you have actually written a book about self-compassion, the self-compassion workbook for OCD, which is so beautiful and, and so deeply needed. Um, what was that process like for you to, to put a book together? Just a little bit of work? Horrifying. <laughs> I had, thank God I wrote a book about self-compassion because it was the most triggering thing. And, and I do think a lot of my people pleasing was being worked out as I wrote it. Um, you know, I had immense amount of anxiety writing this book because, um, I'm not actually a writer. I am a speaker. I love to speak and I am not a fantastic writer. Um, and I kept, I would call my mom who lives in Australia and I would be like, the words don't compute. You don't, you don't, you can't, you don't read them and they don't sound like Kimberly, like they, they don't sound like something I would say. And we would talk about like, how can we get Kimberly into the language? Um, and I couldn't figure out how to make that happen. So I was really anxious about that. It would just be a boring book about mm. boring things. Um, and so through this practice of like, well, what do you want? We started, I started writing letters to the, my readers um, and I would just literally like, dear reader, this is what I want you to know about this chapter before I would write it. And then my mom was like, the letters, keep them. The letters need to be in the book. And so that was sort of a big piece of it. But I was really, really hard on myself. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I wanted it to be really good. And that expectation got me a couple of times. I had to keep reminding myself that it doesn't have to be perfect, that a B minus effort is a great and good enough effort. Yeah. Talk about breeding ground for perfectionism. I would imagine writing a book is just, that can just come out full force because it's mm -hmm. any time that we, I mean, I can only speak for myself. I know that for me, anytime something is important or I really want to do a good job on it and it means something to me, that's when 
that's when all the the perfectionism is going to really swoop in full force. Right, right. That, yes, 100%. That and, you know, the reason I chose to, I I was lucky enough that this publisher reached out to me to write a different book. Mm. And right when we were about to submit, she said, are you sure there's nothing else? There's no other book you want to write? Like, is this the book? And I was like, yeah, actually, it's not the book. Like, the book I really want to write is for people sufferers with OCD um, because that's, I have, I'm constantly trying to fill that gap of helping people with OCD with self-compassion and there's no book to lead them to. Um, And so as I was writing it, I really wanted to create the book that they needed to read. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't want it to be like, kind of like, here is what you do and, that's it. I really wanted them to sort of touch base with that. And so it was really, really hard. I'm not going to lie. It was probably one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. Um, yeah. yeah, it was, it's just epic. I'm very, very proud of it now. I just ordered my copy today, by the way. So oh, I'm excited please. to, I'm excited yeah. to read it. I cannot wait. I know some, you know, OCD can be a very, very misunderstood um, disorder mm-hmm. that where not a lot of people, I don't think, fully understand the magnitude of intrusive thoughts and shame that those can bring about and, and talk about a space where where we need self-compassion mm-hmm. deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you like to say, or what, or, or what would you want to say to people out there who are struggling with intrusive thoughts and, and, and how to cultivate that, that sense of compassion for self when it can feel really, really hard? Yeah. So in the, in the beginning of the book, I use a metaphor. So even before we get to how to practice self-compassion, I tell a story. Um, just because I think it's so important. And this is not just for people with OCD, um, but I use the metaphor, it applies very much to many people, but it's really important is when my son was in kindergarten, um, there was this, on everybody's desk was this clip chart and it was a piece of cardboard with a peg and you could clip up. And if you clipped up, you got it by the end of the day, you got a reward. And and if you weren't such a good boy or girl, you would clip down. And if you got clipped down a certain amount of times, you got a call home to your parents, right? So your son, I'd pick up my son and he would be like, I clipped up today to the, you know, the, the smiley face, but not the, you know, there's different levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a decent enough, good enough way to motivate five-year-olds, right? Um, it's not the best. There's some people can argue that the clip chart is too much reinforcement on behavior, but it's a good way to motivate 25 children when you're a teacher who's under a lot of pressure. But the problem with this is we adapt this type of metaphor in our lives, particularly for people with OCD, is if they have an intrusive thought, they clip themselves down as if they had any control over that thought. And if they have a day where they don't include have intrusive thoughts, they clip themselves up as if they're somehow now more worthy. I'm a better human because I didn't mm-hmm. have these horrible intrusive thoughts or I didn't have a panic attack or so forth. And I think the first step of compassion is catching and being aware of your own personal clip chart that you have for yourself on how mm. do you grade your worth? Because most people with OCD that I have met 
grade their worth based on their thoughts. I'm a bad person because I have bad thoughts. I'm a Mm. good person because I don't have OCD anymore. And none of that is true, right? Like you're an amazing, worthy human, whether you have intrusive thoughts or not. You're an amazing, you know, worthy human, whether you have OCD or not. Um, Because there's so much stigma around it, I think people clip themselves down metaphorically. Um, Same for eating disorders, same for depression as well, is we're constantly clipping up, clipping down, clipping up, clipping down. And and the first act of compassion is just to throw the clip chart away. Mm. Right? You're always at the top. You're always worthy. And so your job is to throw the clip chart away and to validate yourself in that thoughts and feelings and sensations and urges and images do not define you. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Right. And just, yeah, I think just bringing some awareness and noticing that we're doing that Mm because it's probably just such a subconscious thing that we're just constantly clipping up and clipping down. Right. Well, and the good thing is, is that if you have a therapist, they can bring your awareness to this as you're like, you know, I've had, I've done uh, mindfulness retreats with people with OCD and we'll mm. do a self-compassion exercise, like a loving kindness meditation. I've had people with OCD pack up and leave. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, you know, do a survey with them afterwards. What happened? I don't deserve this compassion mm. because my thoughts are about my child or I've got thoughts about my partner or my mom or something. And so we have to break free free from, or we first have to be aware of how we're engaging with our thoughts in that way. Yeah. And then, and then we can practice compassion, right? But you have to get through that first piece first. And are there, and I I know you mentioned that, you know, you didn't want the book to be about obviously five steps to self-compassion or something like that, that I know that our our society is filled with, like it's that Mm -hmm. simple, right? I wish it was that simple, but are there, are there, are there things that you recommend that, that, that we kind of incorporate into our lives, into our days to help kind of at least move in that, that more compassionate approach? 100%. So self-compassion is a practice, meaning um, you have to practice and practice and practice. Um, But with with the act of holding space for suffering you will find that pain and sort of your anxiety and your fear and your shame become more tolerable because instead of it being like no I can't feel it that feels pretty jarring right if I said to you like when fear comes in you're to get try to get rid of it that actually makes it worse Compassion isn't there to make it go away. It's actually to hold a really safe place for it that doesn't involve judgment, that doesn't involve self-criticism, that does not involve self-punishment while that discomfort and that suffering rises and falls on its own, right? So I really try to be clear with my patients and my readers and listeners is self-compassion is not a fixing behavior. It's a supporting behavior, just like the definition of self-compassion is treating yourself how you yourself would treat someone in exactly that position. So if you told me you, you know, broke your leg or you're depressed or you have a new diagnosis, 
I would probably go, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. How can I support you? Mm. What's the next steps? How, you know, what, you know, what's, how, how have you been doing? What does this look like for you? So self-compassion is doing that, but for yourself. It's not saying, oh, you should be, you should be grateful for what you have. And it should not be like, you shouldn't be going through this. You should be fine. It's actually sitting with the person. And so compassion is that. Love that. And I, I always find this very interesting, especially in the world of OCD, where, you know, we're taught not to like replace thoughts, like not to, so if I'm having an intrusive thought about, you know, whether I'm going to hurt somebody or, or whatever it might be, a violent intrusive thought, um, what's helped me through that, right, is to create space for it, not try to get it to go away, just kind of like allow it to do its thing, whatever it's going to do, try to just align my actions with my values and just kind of move with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet it feels like sometimes a lot of these self-compassion rhetoric that we hear is that we almost need to like step in and, and talk to ourselves in a more gentle way or say things to ourselves that are more gentle but th- that can be, I feel like at times almost like counterintuitive to what we're taught in the OCD world. Does that make sense what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like how we actually step in and talk to ourselves in a more nurturing way without it being like trying to shut down thoughts, which can sometimes just, too. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and our environment, right? Our environment doesn't really encourage us to be gentle. So again, one of the first, you know, people make jokes at me because one of the first lines in the book is self-compassion is not rainbows and unicorns, right? It's just not. It's so think of it like you have a thought and the thought immediately creates anxiety for you or uncertainty, discomfort, disgust, whatever it may be. Your natural instinct as a human being is to run away from that thought, to get rid of the danger. That is a human instinct. It's not because you're you're strange. That's the human instinct. And often for people with OCD, that natural instinct to run away becomes a compulsion, a behavior or an action that keeps you trying to get certainty or relief from that discomfort. When you get relief, you, um, by doing that behavior, you have a moment of like, oh, phew. And then the thought comes back and you got to do it all over again. So in that cycle, self-compassion is ideally intervened the minute you have the thought, right? Which is to go, there's a curiosity there, right? It's, it's there to go, okay, there's a thought here. How you, how you have, what, what choices do you have and what do you want to do? Right. And then it's also to validate the innate instinct to go for relief, right? Mm -hmm. It's to go, yeah, of course you want relief. Sometimes self-compassion is very nurturing. Uh, Like, oh my goodness, that must be really hard. This is painful. You just had that scary thought. Sometimes self-compassion has like a whole feeling of vibe of badassery, which is like, it stands up for yourself. Sometimes self-compassion is, oh, no, no fear. We are not doing this again today. We are, you can be here as much as you want, mm. right? But we are not trying to solve you today. You do not get to make my choices today. 
So self-compassion doesn't have to just be gentle and nurturing. It can be the person who sets strong boundaries with fear and compulsions. And yeah. you may you have to learn how to do both. Otherwise, it's it's self-compassion in that nurturing space is not enough. Because mm-hmm. if you're being screamed at by obtrusive thoughts, you might need to stand up to that. Right. Yeah. And so it, it, I don't know if that answers your question, but we really understand compassion that it has to have a real mother instinct and it has to have a real daddy papa bear instinct about it too. Taking out gender roles. We're not talking about gender roles. We're just talking about the way in which you show up in your body. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know if that answers your question. It totally does. And how would you stand up to an intrusive thought? What would you say to yourself? Depends. So if an intrusive thought is really strong, I might have to show up pretty strong boundaried with it to start with. Um, With practice, I've also learned to be really gentle with my, you know, intrusive thoughts um, and be like, hey, buddy, I like I see you. I see your game. I see your your tactics. I know I know in my heart you're trying to protect me. So I, I'm at the place where I don't vilify my fear anymore. Um, like before I used to externalize it and be like, no, you know, you don't get to tell me what to do. I don't, I don't have to do that as much, but I still have some of my clients do it. For me, I'm more like, hey, buddy, you're back. Thanks, bud. You could come with me to the grocery store. I know what you have to say. You have shouted it before. Come along. We'll do this together. And good try, you know? Yeah. I, and I love that you use the word buddy. I, I had, um, I actually had a, a one of the episodes of the, of the podcast. I had a good friend of mine on, and he talked about how that's how he talks to himself throughout the day. He calls yeah. himself buddy all the time, yeah, as a way to like be gentle with himself throughout yeah. the day. And that that episode was actually on the topic of self compassion. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's the key. We just have to call ourselves buddy all day long. I think. Well, it's a befriending, right? When yeah. think about buddy mate in Australia, mate is a really big, big term of endearment. There's a there's a um, there's a sense of we're in this together. It's you and me versus fear. It's not you know f- fear and me versus the world kind of thing. So yeah. yeah, I think there's in terms of endearment are a huge piece of compassion work. perfectionism still you know arises for you at certain points in your life or or maybe struggles with anxiety eating disorder the things that you've mentioned um how do you try to talk to yourself when those Mm. things surface well a big again to go back to it is i think my first step again is to stop and be like how is this for me about a worth issue for me that I have for me it's not true for everyone but for me I have to keep having those conversations like what are you trying to prove here right like are you still trying to prove your worth to yourself and if that's the case I would have talks with that right um because that seems to be where I get caught the most if I'm being completely honest like people pleasing is another piece of that right of like as soon as I catch myself people pleasing, I'm like, okay, what are you trying to prove here? You know, like it, yeah. it, and have that, but not in a mean way of more like, again, like, hey, buddy, what is it that, again, talk to myself like I would if I was talking to my daughter? Like, bud, what are you trying to, what are you trying to get to here? 
then the real compassion work is to go, I'm going to stand by you, whether this happens or it doesn't, right? I'm going to, and again, for me with such strong struggles with medical illnesses, it's going to be, you're going to upset a lot of people. And I'm going to be right here by you, whether you upset them or not. That has to be it. Um, Because I can't, I had to do, I, when I say I can't, and I'm saying that in pre, in like right now tense is I can't keep putting myself second to the world. And that, that is that very strong masculine self-compassionate voice. But then right in after that comes the tenderness of like, all right, buddy, let's just go with this. Let's just write it out. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Totally does. After, um, after all that you've, you've been through, right. You, you know, you, you shared some of your experiences, um, that, that, that you've gone through throughout your life. And now here you are helping people in the way that you are, um, in, in so many different ways. Do you, do you ever just like take a moment and kind of like put your hands on your heart and just like recognize and honor like the journey of what it's taken to, to get here? Mm, not enough, but I'm trying yeah. to be better at it. Um, a part of it's going to probably be a big part of my 2022, but it was definitely a big part of my 2021 is before I go to do anything, I have to first take stock as part of my Buddhist practice is like take stock of what I have, um, because the chances are what I have found, the more I'm like, let's go, let's go, come on, let's do, do more, do better. The truth is I'm already there. I already have worth. I already have love. I have joy around me everywhere. What am I actually trying to get more of? Right? Because it's, mm. it's probably right here. And so that's been a big lesson for me. Of like Every time I go to like get ah, like a little too, you know, I get, I get very, a big joke in my family is my mom and I are the same as we get very excited about things. Like, oh my God, it's so exciting. I have to do it right now. And I have to be like, but wait, do, do you have this already? Maybe you don't have to do that. Maybe you've got it already. And so that's been a huge practice for me. It's like, mm. you know. Yeah, because we're always just kind of striving for what's next. More, 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 more. More, more, more. And then when we yeah. get there, we want more. And then when we get there, we want more. Yeah. Um, and I, I've never heard you talk about your Buddhist practice. Yeah. So. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. I. It was a huge part of my eating disorder recovery. Unfortunately, yeah. I'm not as committed since I had children. However, they are my biggest Buddha, Buddhist teachers, <laughs> yeah. having children. Uh, but no, I I love love understanding Buddhist philosophy and, um, you know, the the four Buddhist rules keep me alive. You know, like in life mm-hmm. there will be suffering. I probably say that to myself a dozen times a day in life, there will be suffering. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And I, I listened to, I remember you, you interviewed um, Tara Brock a number, it was probably a couple of years ago now, but talk about an incredible human that I'm sure aligned for you in so many different ways, mm. given that. Well, she was who I used to listen to in my eating disorder recovery. I would, because I, my therapist had set rules that I wasn't allowed in the gym because I was compulsive, she would allow me to take walks. 
which still was very compulsive, but it was better than the alternative. And I would put Tara Brock on and I would walk and listen to her for hours. Mm -hmm. But then it slowly became like a, instead of a fast paced walk, it was like a slower walk. And then it became like, I would sit on the edge of like a street and just listen. Mm -hmm. She saved me in many ways. Yeah. So I used to listen to her and I still do a lot at night when I can't sleep. Yeah. I'll go, I'll I'll put on her and like those talks that she has on her website. They're so beautiful. Yeah. She's like my, you know, if I could be even a quarter of her, I would be very thrilled. Yeah. What's so cool though is you might like roll your eyes at this, but like, I feel like you're, you're bringing so much of that essence now into the communities that you reach, you know, like just that sense of like gentleness and allowing people to, um, I don't know, just like meet themselves more gently and recognize that they're enough. Like you're, you're bringing that essence into the work that you do now, which is pretty, Mm, pretty powerful. I think. Thank you. It's what I, it's, it's what, doesn't feel icky to me. Being on social media does feel a little icky to me. Um, it drains me immensely. Um, mm-hmm. But when I'm talking about the compassion, it drains me and it fills me at the same time. Mm. And so it's sustainable, right? Like it, it's, yeah. it's, it's sort of like my church. So I like it. Yeah. When do you, when do you feel, feel the most full? in your life do, 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 you, do you notice uh, the common here, theme there here with you with my client with my husband with my kids just when I can be raw and real and no bs and just be like this is my church really when I'm with a client or I'm just talking about real that's yeah. that's when I'm most at peace and connected yeah and and final question that I have for you just for anybody out there who is struggling, whether that be with OCD or just with anything in, in their life, if there's kind of one parting message that you would want them to hear, is there anything that comes to, to your heart or to your mind? Well, the thing that comes, I mean, I would probably say two things, but the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, I have become Uh, known for the common phrase it's a beautiful day to do hard things (laughs) so I feel like I'd be silly not to mention that it's a huge part of the work I do because as compassionate as I try to be I also make people do pretty really difficult things (laughs) my work is a lot of having people face their absolute worst nightmare so that phrase has just sort of turned into being a, a phrase a lot of people have used in that today's a good day to do hard things it's you know I think we're fed that this this is a beautiful day to have an easy life or it's a beautiful day to have no problems or to be perfect and so I I like that it switches the whole story and the rhetoric around you know this idea that life's supposed to be easy and instagrammable so that would be the first thing but the other thing I would say is um, being patient with how messy life is because most of the time your compassion practice is in the patience it's in the sitting in the mess and and don't run away from the mess too fast try to yeah solve problems you know if something is terribly bad go and get recovery go see a doctor see a therapist but also don't push and 
press for recovery too fast because that tends to be one of the most non-self-compassionate thing people do when they have a timeline. So just be patient, I think is my main message. Once again, a, a huge thank you to, to Kimberly for, for joining the podcast today. Um, really, really just a joy to, to catch up with her. And um, again, kind of a full circle moment for me. I, I, I can remember many, many days listening to her podcast or coming across her work online um, when I really, really needed it. And, and so to be in this space of connecting with her, sharing her work with, with all of you is, is, is a real treat and, and a real honor. Um, I want to let you know that check out her podcast. It's, it's wonderful. Again, it's called Your Anxiety Toolkit. You can look that up on, on all those platforms that you listen to your podcasts. I also encourage you to check out, if you're interested, um, her new book, Self-Compassion, uh, the, the Self-Compassion Workbook for OCD. Beautiful, beautiful resource for you there. And then also um, encourage you to check out cbtschool.com um, to check out her work around that. So um, thanks for being here, my friends. I hope that you found this this conversation helpful and, and filled you up a little bit. Um, as always, take what serves you and, and go ahead and leave the rest. Be gentle one day, one moment at a time. And we'll talk soon, my friends. Mm-hmm.